Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series. I am Amy Zellmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com and your host. Today, I will be chatting with Britt Brogard about the superhuman mind. This episode is brought to you by Minnesota Functional Neurology, a Minneapolis-based clinic staffed by a caring and progressive team of functional neurologists who are experienced in treating post-concussion syndrome, chronic pain, dizziness, whiplash, and migraines. They are the concussion doctors you can trust for comprehensive brain health in Minnesota. They've greatly helped me and many others in the Twin Cities. Find them online at mnfunctionalneurology.com. Hi, everyone. I am Amy Zellmer, and you are listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury one podcast at a time. Those of you who might not be familiar with who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014. I am a frequent contributor on the Huffington Post. And I volunteer on the Brain Injury Association of America's Advisory Council. And I recently released my second book, Embracing the Journey, Moving Forward After Brain Injury. You can learn more about me and the podcast at facesoftbi.com. And be sure to check out the Brain Health Academy that I have co-created with Sue Wilson of CTE Hope while you are on the site. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer. Today, my guest is Britt Brogard, and Britt is a professor of philosophy with joint appointments in the departments of philosophy and psychology at the University of Miami, as well as the Network for Sensory Research at the University of Toronto. Her educational background includes a medical degree in neuroscience and a doctorate in philosophy. She has written over 75 peer-reviewed articles, over 300 popular articles on neuroscience and health issues, and two books, Transient Truths on Romantic Love. And she is currently finishing a third book, Seeing and Saying. Her work has been featured in various public media, including Nightline, ABC News, The Huffington Post, Fox News, MSNBC, and she was the first female president of the Central States Philosophical Association. She has recently co-authored a book with Krista Marlowe, The Superhuman Mind, based in part on research at the lab. So welcome to the podcast, Britt. I am so excited to have you here today. Thanks so much for having me. So, Britt, I would love for you, you have such an impressive bio, but I would love for you to give us just a little bit of background um, you know, like how you came to work in this field and what kind of brought you here? Yes, yeah, so uh, I studied uh, neuroscience. Uh, I studied some other things as well and, and completed some, some degrees in that and ended a postdoc at the Center for, for Consciousness uh, with David Chalmers in Australia. And when I, when I got back from uh, my postdoc, I started looking at, initially I started looking at a condition that is a blending of the senses, so it's called synesthesia, so you, you, you might see specific tones of music as, as having specific colors, or you might see letters printed in black as having specific colors, so that's a synesthesia. 
And uh, that's we we did that for a while, and then what we um, when we had the, the first subject with a with a brain injury, uh, we found out that uh, the person had what we call acquired uh, synesthesia and also some extraordinary abilities following uh, the brain injury, and and also of course there were the various. Um, Things he had to recover from as well, but 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 he also had these extraordinary new uh, insights and synesthesia. So that was Jason Padgett. Then we started focusing more on on these um, unusual um, phenomena that are that occur in after brain injury, and we're sort of spread out. And now we we focus. We, we don't focus as much on. Just on the the negative sides of it, but also on the positive. Even when people don't have, say, extraordinary abilities, it's just when people sort of find new ways of doing things, for example, so that that or, or even do, do new things compared to what they did before. So so that's sort of the one of the main uh, focus or the main focus, maybe we could say of of the lab right now so at the University of Miami. Would you say like another example might be somebody who could not sing or play on the piano before their brain injury and now they can? Would that be like another example of what you're talking about? Yeah, that's that that's that's ex- um, exactly right. Uh, we so so one of the subjects that we have been uh, patients uh, subjects that we've been working with is Derek Amato, and he he did not he was not able to play the piano prior to his injury, um, traumatic brain injury, and then afterwards he he was. Uh, we don't know exactly how fast he we know how fast he he wanted to go and play. We don't know how fast he became as good as he is now, uh, because uh, it took a while before people sort of found him and started studying him. But he definitely had a certain urge to play the piano right almost right after I mean three days after the brain injury. And wow. and he had not had that before at all. He was sort of into sports and, and, and he was a salesperson so so that so that's an example. Um and then when 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 I first encountered him as a patient's uh, subject, he was already very good on the piano. And sort of you know, make, is I, making a living out of that. I, I hear all the time, like, um, people can, for instance, someone who may not be able to talk very well or, like, they might stutter horribly after a brain injury, they can suddenly sing. And they can sing, like, with, you know, perfect pitch and everything, and but yet they can't yeah. really talk. And it's so yeah. fascinating, you know, because there's different sides of the brain that, that do those two things. And I find it just so fascinating. And same with reading versus writing. Some people can read, but they can't write or vice versa. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah that's right. And it's just so fascinating. Yeah, that, it it is really uh, fascinating. I find it's fascinating to, to look at, at those, um, I mean, so those, those like that's almost like an extraordinary ability to be able to sing in with perfect pitch, but even those who who just even if they don't become, you know, superhumans or as as we call it in our book, um, they they might pick up something they never did before and do that, and and then they might have lost some other things, um, some other functions, but now they can suddenly do something else, and so that's yeah that's a, one of the really fascinating things, and we also have. 
uh, we ha- have um, um, one one uh, woman uh, who's that we're studying in our lab. She's um, she has family in Florida, and so so it makes it a little bit easier for for her to come to the lab more often. And she has started uh, writing poetry and um, other things, short stories, after her brain injury. But in addition to that, she also says, well, kind of what what is inspiring her is that things look differently to her. So she doesn't have a special condition, like I mentioned, that synesthesia where the senses are crossing. She, She just sees things in a different light. Um, that's how she describes it. So I'm saying, like, well, do you see it brighter or do you see it, like, more dull? And he says, well, maybe brighter, but that's not just it. It's sort of, for her, it's like the the colors um, ha- are more saturated. So, so it's more to it than just brightness. But that's something that, that was a change after her brain injury in her perception. Uh, of course, she had a lot of... Uh, trouble with other things. Um, she, she had the, the, this was from sports uh, injury, and she's had various uh, trouble with uh, after. I mean, she's had multiple um, traumatic brain injuries, and and um, and and this so this wasn't the first, but this was the first that caused that change in perception, and then also caused her to to um, go do something completely different. So she was completely obsessed with sports and professional sports and so on until the last injury. And now she's into poetry and literature. And so, so that, so that was really, that's a really fascinating change as well. You know, I, before my accident, I was a photographer. I've been a professional photographer for 20 years. And when I first fell, um, and for like the first, gosh, 10 months, maybe, I really had no idea how to use my camera, like the functions of it. Because oh, as a yeah. professional, you know, you always are doing everything in manual mode. You're not just, you know, putting it on the green dot. And yeah. so like yeah. I kind of really lost it because I feel like that component, like understanding the controls of the camera, that's very left brain, right? Um, where the yeah. creative yeah. process is much more right brain. Um, and it makes sense because I did land on the left side of my head, but, you know, I remember it was so frightening and like, I didn't know how to use my microwave, like touch, touch buttons, um, like at a gas station and you have to enter, answer questions. Like it was too frustrating for me. I'd have to like go inside to pay for my gas. Um, there was a lot of things that were really frustrating because I couldn't figure out how to do them anymore. But then like, on the flip side, my writing suddenly kind of took over and I'm, I'm doing a lot of writing and I always was a writer, but not to the extent of what yeah. I am now. Right. Like now I have two books. Well, yeah. right? Like I never yeah, have books, having books, yeah. two books before. Right. <laughs> right. Right. So it yeah. is, it's really interesting. And I think you bring up this great point of we have to look for the silver lining and okay. So I can't be a photographer anymore, but I can be a writer, right? So, yeah, like, yeah. while it might be very sad that I can't use my camera anymore, I can look forward at what I can do, you know? And same, like, with that athlete. Maybe she can't, she's not an athlete anymore, but now she's a poet, you know? So, I mean, there's always a silver lining, and you just have to be willing to find it, right? Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. We have uh, another person that we have studied in our lab. Uh, she was at the Colorado at the time. She has uh, since then moved to California. 
but she uh, she was a um, a person in charge of um, a range. So she was like working with farm animals and taking care of farm animals. And she was taking care of that whole property and the animals uh, up high in a mountain in Colorado. And that has been her thing in addition to sports, but not sports at a professional level. But she was into sports. She was into to the farm animals. Um, she was really, really uh, good at it. Of course, I didn't know her at the time, but um, got a lot of testimony about um, what she was doing. And then one day she slipped as she was feeding chickens. It was a little muddy on, um, and, and, and it was sort of this mount, mountain area. So she fell down and uh, sort of really far down uh, from uh, on an ed- from this edge of the, where the chickens were. And uh, luckily she landed in a tree that caught her. Um, but that she was unconscious, and she was taking care of this property on her own, so she had to sort of wait for someone. Well, luckily, I think there was someone either there at the time, I forget exactly, but they noticed it fairly quickly, and he had to, she had to be cut out of the tree and lifted with with a helicopter to a trauma hospital and uh, when she recovered she had a lot of trouble recovering so she did not have um she's not a fracture uh, spinal fracture but she had a partial spinal fracture so she had some mobility issues that they needed to take care of and then she had uh, initially lost um, almost all of her memories of uh, familiar things so she didn't have complete amnesia but it was a lot she had lost some of it she has recovered, some of it she hasn't. And then uh, she started, afterwards she did not have any desire to, and it wasn't because of the the accident that she didn't want to go back and take care of farm animals. She didn't have any interest in it anymore. She didn't know how to do it. So maybe that was what, what affected uh, her interest was that she, didn't, she wouldn't have known, she wouldn't didn't remember how to do that. How do you, what, what do you feed? I mean, I'm not an expert in this, but what do you feed a cow? What do you feed a horse? How do you do this? So she had no idea how to do that. So she started painting, writing poetry instead. Um, and, and that was uh, something that she was sort of inspired to do, that she suddenly felt, oh, this I can do, but I can't do the other thing. She can't even, um, she can't even like, she can she can probably force herself to use a microwave, but she might as well forget that it's on. I mean, the microwave wouldn't, probably wouldn't, wouldn't, be, wouldn't be too much damage, but if it's the, the stovetop or something, she would forget that it's on. So, so she tends to not even cook food because she knows herself well enough that she might she might simply forget. She's not making she's making new memories, but she's not making them very well. So even something that has just happened, it might just we can all forget to turn off the stove. But she she says that it happens more regularly to her. So she has all these <laughs> difficulties in her everyday life. But then she's actually uh, since then she's in California um, has a gallery with her uh, her drawing. It's actually drawings, not paintings. Um, and and so so she's getting sort of locally some uh, some attention in California for for her her drawings. And and uh, so that's that's sort of what she does now. But she still can't. Or only with great difficulties can she cook things for herself because well she she can do it but then there's, there's a, a great risk that she will forget half of the thing I mean she, she won't forget the beginning of the recipe as it gets to the end and so on so it would have to be something very simple so she's yeah. a very interesting case where she has a lot of disadvantages 
but also some new things that she wouldn't give up. So the thing is, she wouldn't even go. I mean, she wouldn't go back. She wouldn't trade in her her newfound skill, her newfound ability for for perfect functionality. So so that's another oh, interesting right. thing I've heard um, most of them say. Well, even when they're quite damaged, um, in in some cases, um, that they wouldn't they wouldn't want to go back if they could if they got the chance. Um, sort of like in a in a movie science science fiction movie where they get the chance to go back and and they they will just have their old life back but they won't have that injury uh, and many of them are like no I would not I would actually not trade it um, trade it in for what I have now you know and I have to giggle at the whole forgetting to turn off the oven the stove thing because I think that's something that like pretty much 90% of TBI survivors can relate to because that comes up in yeah. my group all the time. People talking about forgetting to turn the oven or the stove off. And I remember, I've, so I have an electric oven or stove at home. And so it doesn't have a flame, yeah. right? And I was visiting a friend who has a gas stove and I oh, had yeah. like the water boiling or whatever. And I took it off and I went and I did something else. And I was in the other room and she comes in the kitchen and she's like, is there a reason the burner is still on? And I was just like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I left like this flame burning, you know, in the kitchen. I'm like, oh, well, my yeah, God. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which it's even scarier yeah, that's interesting. than electric. <laughs> Yeah. Just total lack of awareness, you know, like don't even remember. And I, you know, I can't tell you how many times I put food inside the oven and then came back like, you know, 20 minutes later to see how it was doing. And I hadn't even turned the oven on. <laughs> so, well, yeah. right. so cooking is a challenge yeah. with a brain injury. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's why Lee, Lee is her first name. Lee in, um, now in California, back then in, in Colorado, um, is just sort of, Usually she just has given up on trying to cook on her own because, I mean, it's it would have to be so simple, and then she would have to stand there and make make a note even when she's just standing there too. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah. So that's so I've heard heard yeah I've heard about that in, in multiple yeah. people that that we have looked at as well. Yeah. Yeah, I have a friend. She has to rewrite. So like you know she has her recipe, but she has to actually like rewrite it into like steps because you know like a recipe you know how a standard recipe is written out yeah kind of yeah like, rewrite it to like how she can relate to it um it's really yeah. interesting because she loves to cook but she can't just follow a recipe so she kind of has to recreate the recipe to how her brain can handle it so you know there's the yeah co- i guess you'd yeah. say that's a coping mechanism you know and i guess that's what we kind of have to yeah. learn how to do adaption. Right. Yeah, so yeah, the, the the people use a lot of coping mechanisms and and uh the, in some cases the, the, I mentioned the first subject that we had he he was uh knocked unconscious in um he two people um were trying to to um like like it was like a he got mocked basically outside of for um, a bar and got he he became unconscious and after some recovery and so on, he also had some some spinal injury but not not in a permanent fashion and uh, he he had I mean part of his coping mechanism to begin with because he he was also one of those people where his perception changed uh, so he felt like well wait a minute I'm seeing things differently I can't really 
figure out all the ways that things are different. One thing was that he was not no longer seeing motion in the same way that most people do. So although he was see, he was not seeing it in where well, he wasn't seeing motion at all, but he was seeing it more like in the old-fashioned uh, video recorders, video players, who weren't even recording back then, um, players, so in VCR, uh, video, so if you pause, click the pause button, like, a lot, really fast, then you would get this sort of um, one, sh- one shot of a, a picture, and then the next shot, the next shot, the next shot. So that's how he saw motion, and then he was also seeing things in a more, the things he was seeing were more sort of, uh, in in geometrical forms, so he wa- he was like to cope with that way of just sort of to he was he said he was in his apartment not going outside for three years more or less and during that time period he needed to cope with his way that his he thought he was going maybe insane or, or he didn't know what, what what to make of it so he started drawing it uh, by hand and and he's also one of those. Uh, subjects where he's gone on to um, actually win uh, some some in the Miami um, Art Basel in Basel in um, in in the in the spring. Uh, he he won uh, something there for his art for his drawings and um, so yeah so so that's uh, in, another interesting case where his coping mechanism actually led him to his his new thing or one of his new things it wasn't the only new thing but but um but one of the things was that he now was drawing these fantastic images of what he was seeing so Britt, i i you know you've kind of triggered a question for me um i hear of people who have hallucinations after brain injury like they see things that aren't mm-hmm. actually there would that kind of fall into what we're talking about to some degree like maybe they're just yeah i think the world differently I think I think I think I think that's exactly what it is. Um, so that there are different. Um, so the, the two, the distinction I like to draw when we're talking about hallucinations is whether it um, whether it you kind of know that that's not the way the world is, as opposed to the kinds of hallucinations that you see maybe in people with uh, say schizophrenia or something like that, where you really think that say a voice. Uh, that's really your own voice is coming from the outside, right? So, so, so that's um, that. That's a former way as as the way I see I have seen in a many many people. So the crossing of the senses I talked about is a kind of hallucination too, because if you look at the letter um, A or the number three, and you see a specific color, I mean people people don't. See, they they know that the letter is not printed in that color, but they have this sort of hallucination that it is, but it's sort of very specific. So in in, in the cross, crossing of the senses synesthesia, it is kind of like a hallucination too. It's just that there there's sort of a correlation between two different aspects of the senses or two senses. And in um, Jason Padgett's case, he is um, he he likes to think about it as if he's seeing reality more close up, even though his motion, sense of motion, he's he's definitely clear about that. That's definitely a hallucination because, or maybe, I mean, who knows, but uh, it, 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 if motion is continuous anyway, then this sort of um, one screenshot after the next and then, and then, and then, and then, and then uh, is not how 
motion is. So depending on how motion really is, um, what he's seeing is is a kind of hallucination or illusion, and and the way he sees everything in more straight shapes and forms. Um, it's also kind of maybe at least, at least a distortion of perception, so hallucination or illusion. And the subject I told you about, the one who saw things, the colors is more saturated uh, rather than maybe bright. Um, she also has sort of maybe a color illusion or something, but it's more a little more systematic than just your arbitrary, you know, illusion or hallucination. You know, if you if you if it's a really sunny day and the and and uh, the the road is really, really hot, and you look down the road, it might seem like there's water down the road. Uh, that's something that we can all see, but, but that's only happens in very special circumstances, where a lot of these people with these this, this, this distorted um, perception, yeah, it's, they, they might call it hallucination. Um, that that's, is, in fact, also what it is, but it's just very different from the hallucinations that people say with schizophrenia has, for example, because... They they they're sort of aware of the difference that they see the world differently, um, and so it's not like they 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 don't go out. So Jason Patton doesn't go out and say, "Well, well, now I really think that motion is is fragmented." Um, but he 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 he's well, he's leaving it open as a as an option. It could be, but he he thinks it's very possible that motion is perfectly continuous, and he just sees it as fragmented, of course. So yeah, so the so perception disturbances is something we we see a lot. Now synesthesia, that's something. So the mixing of senses, um, you see that in people who have not had a brain injury as well, correct? I mean, like that's something that some people are born with. Yeah, yeah. Synesthesia uh, is something. So some people are just born with it, um, and and that's when they have that, they can have all kinds of. Uh, synesthesia. So people who are born or not necessarily born with perfect pitch, but they found that find themselves having perfect pitch. Uh, some of them, a lot of them, have synesthesia where, when they hear a musical note, it has a specific color. It's so they're hearing the music as or the notes, the musical note as colored, and when they have perfect pitch, it's sometimes the reason that they have perfect pitch because. If you always had that color, this very very same color, so if it was a if you had the musical note C, then you had a specific color. But if it's another, if you had an E instead, then it's another color. Uh, so, so that's something that some are born with. But what's really fascinating is that some people just acquire it, and some people acquire exactly the same kinds of um, synesthesia that you see in in people who have it from when they were born. And in other cases, you you, you actually um, see them having more what you would call hallucinations or something that's much more idiosyncratic and it's not necessarily something you, you find it early on in life. Yeah, it's all so fascinating. And, you know, I've known a few people who do have synesthesia. Um, and I feel like I have, like, a mild form of it with my... Um, uh, with my sense of smell, my sense of smell, mm-hmm. when I smell things, I will taste things and not necessarily oh, yeah, like, yeah. like if I smell blueberry, I'm not necessarily even tasting a blueberry. Do you know what I mean? Like it's really, yeah. I never even knew that that was considered synesthesia. I always associated that with colors and words or numbers, 
Um, and so yeah. someone pointed out to me, they're like, oh, no, that's, that's a form of synesthesia. And I was like, yeah, oh, I think, cool. I think that, that, that definitely is. Yeah. And that's yeah, I think something I've had. I was born with that. Like that's, I've always had this yeah. crazy weird oh, sense of smell. Um, yeah, I can smell things way before other people. Like I'll be like, do you guys smell that? No, no. Yeah. And then like 20 minutes later, oh, what's that smell? I'm like, see, I told you. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's Which, fascinating. You know, sometimes it's a bad thing. It's not always a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's it. Yeah, that is really interesting. Um, yeah, it's um, it's definitely, I mean, there are, there are of course, people who are, um, who acquired it afterwards as well. So Derek Amato, the one who picked up piano, he has it only with very, very, very specific smells. Um, so, so the, but it's not smells that relate to his his accident because his, his accident was in a in a pool. He, he was diving into the shallow end of the pool. Um, but some, so so for some reason he can he can smell like gasoline, uh, and on. Uh, at huge distances and very, very sort of cockpit yeah. and, and, and intense, but more so, I mean, I haven't um, been in a situation with him, but according to what he has told me, he, he's, he can, he can almost like tell you, like if there's a gas station coming out three miles down the road, so it might be convenient wow. to have put you in your car or something. But, um, yeah, it's like, it's, um, I mean, of course, he hasn't measured exact distance, but he just—it's so—he smells it before everyone else. So, it's as a, so, but it's more specific to some smells in his case. But it's something he acquired after his um, accident or in his accident. It's also fascinating. So, Britt, we're down to just the last couple minutes, and um, I just want to make sure—you know—is—is is there anything we didn't touch on? I know you have um, your books, and I do have the links. Um, in the show notes, if anyone wants to find your books. Mm-hmm. Um, but is there anything we didn't touch on that you wanted to mention um, about the superhuman brain? I mean, the, 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 of course, all, all kinds of fascinating details, but I think we sort of covered a lot of the different directions that the brain might go after an injury, uh, a traumatic brain injury, and how that can even resemble some conditions that people have from birth and so on. Um, but yeah, there, there, there are so many specific um, things that, that the ways it can go. But we we sort of covered the more general things that that can happen after um, a traumatic brain injury. That's sort of more positive than just the negative things. Yeah, yeah, and this is so fascinating because you know you do you hear of these things that people can do after an injury that they couldn't do before or you know, vice versa. And it's also fascinating. It's really cool to know that there actually are people studying this stuff in the research world. So I think that's yeah, super yeah. fascinating. So yeah. Britt, thank you so much for being here. This has been really Well, thank you so much for having me, Amy. Yeah, absolutely. And as I mentioned, um, I will have your the link, the Amazon link is in the show notes. So if anyone would like to find your superhuman brain or any of your other books, they can definitely check out that link. Um, and just thank you again so much for being here. This was great, Britt. Well, thank you. Thanks. It was, it was really great. great and thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope that you found this really fascinating as well. Um, and again, I do have the link to Britt's books on Amazon in the show notes. So be sure to check those out. And just, again, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer. And be sure to check out facesoftbi.com 
for previous podcast episodes. And just another thank you to our sponsor, Minnesota Functional Neurology, the concussion doctors you can trust for comprehensive brain health in Minnesota. Find them online at mnfunctionalneurology.com. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for being a part of my journey. Have a great day, everyone, and I will see you next time.